This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Whether you're making a delicious family meal or a post-workout snack, Choose the farm-fresh taste of Eggland's best eggs. Only Eggland's best hens are fed their proprietary all-vegetarian feed. That's what makes their eggs more nutritious. With 10 times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and 6 times more vitamin D compared to ordinary eggs. Eggland's best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com to learn more. Well, sleep is critical for your mental and your physical health, and there are different stages of sleep. So there is deep sleep, which happens in the early hours of the night or the morning, and then there's REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. During deep sleep, we know that you release all sorts of things like growth hormone. It's an important stage of repair. It is also really important for your immune system because all sorts of components of your immune system, um, such as cytokines and antibodies, are created during deep sleep. And we know if you don't get enough deep sleep, then you are much more vulnerable to viral infections, which makes this particularly important. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello, I'm Alexander McNamara, online editor at BBC Science Focus. Now, if, like me, you love to read a good science book, thanks to this podcast I've read a fair few over the years, you'll probably recognise the feeling of having more questions about its subject at the end of the book than before you even turned page one. It's because of this that we've decided to launch the Science Focus Book Club where we pick out what we think is an excellent, thought-provoking science book and ask your questions to its author. You can sign up for the newsletter and see who's coming up next at sciencefocus.com forward slash science book club. But to give you a taster, in May, our legion of science book fans read Fast Asleep by science Focus columnist and BBC presenter Dr Michael Mosley. In this week's podcast, we've selected a few of our favourite Q&As where he explains everything you need to know about sleep, from what it is, why we need it, and how to get more of it. He speaks to our editorial assistant, Amy Barrett. So there's, you've written in your book about um, going to bed and we shouldn't sort of stay in bed if we're struggling to sleep. What should we do if we're lying in bed, staring at the ceiling, wishing we could get to sleep, but, but not being able to? Yes, that's the, one of the problems about reading about uh, books about sleep is you start worrying about how much sleep you're getting and that keeps you awake. 
So the advice from the psychologist is that what you absolutely need to do is associate sleep, sorry, bed with sleep and sex and nothing else. And the problem is that once you get into a bad pattern where you're looking at your smartphone or you're watching telly or you are simply awake worrying, then you've broken that link between sleep and bed and you have to reassert it. So the advice is, broadly speaking, that if you wake up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., which is the classic form of insomnia, then after about you know 10 or 15 minutes, uh, you kind of and you feel you're not going to drift off, then you should get out of bed. You find a sort of nice warm space which you've um, set up earlier uh, with some really boring books or perhaps some music uh, with a sort of rhythm of about 60 or 70 beats a minute. Jazz seems to be particularly good, and you kind of just sit there and you chill out until you feel relaxed and you feel sleepy, and then you go back to bed. Uh, This seems to be a very effective way, and just lying there worrying about it and worrying about how bad you're going to feel the next morning is one of the worst things you can do. It's hard to keep those boundaries, especially now, isn't it? I know that it's in a flat where there's only sort of a few rooms, one of them being the bedroom. Um, It's hard to kind of keep that as separate just for sleeping. It is. It's very hard indeed. Um, I'm fortunate at the moment that um, I have a house where I can find the space. Uh, I sometimes, um, when I'm uh, traveling and um, if I'm traveling with my wife and we're in a hotel room, I'll go into the bathroom um, and just kind of lie down on the floor in the bathroom uh, with uh, a pillow. Not comfortable, I have to say, uh, but um, that's one way of coping. But I do appreciate it is tricky, but it does seem to be very effective. There is another approach to it, uh, which some people try. Uh, I personally find it quite challenging, which is called acceptance theory. And I write a bit about that. And that's where you kind of just learn to accept the fact you're awake. You challenge the thoughts you're having. So if you're thinking, oh, God, I'm awake again. I'm going to feel terrible tomorrow. Um, And those sort of thoughts, you go, it's fine. I generally find I go back to sleep again. And there is also... Uh, sort of breathing exercises you can practice. Uh, one of them that I like is called 424. And what you do there is you breathe in through your nose to count to four, hold it for two, and then out again through your mouth to count to four. In, hold it, and then out. And you just do that for a minute or two. And what you'll find is your heart rate will drop and the drop in the heart rate is one of the triggers for sleep. It's very kind of calming. It's best to practice it during the day as well, anytime you feel stressed. But these sort of breathing exercises are unbelievably effective, and they just kind of distract you as well. And um, another approach is to do something like mindfulness meditation, and I try to do that during the day. And again, some people find that's brilliant at nighttime. They just kind of start listening to their breath and they um, but you, you got, it's, it's tricky if you haven't already got into the habit because taking up something in the middle of the night is never a good idea a new skill it ought to be something that you've already kind of incorporated into your life but mindfulness is very effective as well okay Michael uh, tell me about your new book fast asleep Sure. So the book is about sleep. It's about how we know what we know now, the stages of sleep. And then critically, it's about how you actually improve the quality of your sleep. And there have been quite good 
books out there already looking at the science of sleep, but very few which have addressed the question of how you can actually improve your sleep. And unfortunately, a lot of the standard advice is um, pretty ineffective, I have to say. It's either unbelievably obvious or it doesn't work. And that's really why I wanted to write the book, because I have been an insomniac for some time and I've managed to, broadly speaking, sort it out. So I kind of wanted to share what I knew with other people. Um, Why do we need sleep? Why is it so important? Well, sleep is critical for your mental and your physical health, and there are different stages of sleep. So there is deep sleep, which happens in the early hours of the night or the morning, and then there's REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. During deep sleep, we know that you release all sorts of things like growth hormone. It's an important stage of repair. Uh, It is also really important for your immune system because all sorts of components of your immune system, um, such as cytokines and antibodies, are created during deep sleep. And we know if you don't get enough deep sleep, then you are much more vulnerable to viral infections, which makes this particularly important now. And in deep sleep, you also there are channels in your brain which open up and literally wash out the brain. Uh, This is a system called the glymphatic system, which was only recently discovered. And if you don't get enough deep sleep, that um, puts you at greater risk of things like dementia. Plus, during deep sleep, a lot of memories are consolidated. They move from sort of short term into the long term. Um, so that's critical. And rapid eye movement sleep, REM sleep, where you lie there and your eyes flicker crazily, that is actually linked um, with vivid dreams. And it seems to be uh, particularly important for your psychological health that it's while you're having these intense dreams that you're processing a lot of the emotional things that go on during the day. And so if you don't get enough REM sleep, uh, you tend to feel irritable and out of sorts. So REM sleep is also very important for shifting memories around. So those are the two main components, but there are lots of other things, obesity, diabetes. I could go on for a long time about the list of things and the reasons why you might want to make sure you're getting a decent night's sleep. So how long should we be sleeping for? Hugely variable, depending very much on your age. So as a baby, you'll be sleeping 14 hours um, a day. Uh, When you're a teenager, you probably need at least nine hours, eight to nine hours. You often don't get it. And when you're an adult, it's probably somewhere in the region of seven hours. And there's a sort of myth that as you get older, you need less sleep. In fact, you need just as much. You just don't get it. And so that's kind of one of the things I write about as well. And there are some people who can get by on very short periods of sleep. They call them sleep mutants. There is a family they found um, recently which have a particular genetic profile, and they get by quite comfortably on four to five hours, but most people can't. Uh, It's very much a sort of bell-shaped curve, uh, and the evidence is pretty strong that, broadly speaking, we need around uh, seven hours. But again, one of the things I address in the book is a concept known as sleep efficiency, because people tend to think, I go to bed at 11, I get up at 7, that's eight hours sleep. In fact, you're probably awake for about an hour of that time, so you're only actually getting six hours. Um, And uh, the the evidence is pretty strong that the the benefits come from having a good sleep efficiency, uh, which means somewhere around 80 to 85% of the time in bed, you should be asleep. Um, and not just kind of lying there worrying about sleep or other things or your life or whatever is keeping you awake. I mean, I for one know that I've been spending a lot more time in my bedroom now because of the lockdown than, than I ever was before. Is is that going to be causing me some sleep problems then? Um, have you been having sleep problems? 
I mean, I think everybody I've spoken to has been having sleep problems. It's just a, a difficult time to know what causes those problems. Absolutely. And it's obviously about stress and things like that. But it is also about the breakdown of routine. And as you said, spending a lot more time in your bedroom. Now, you can try and allocate bits of your bedroom to different tasks. So you have a bit of the bedroom where perhaps you work or you do whatever you do. And then the bed, the right side of the bed, left side of the bed, whatever it is, is the bit where you sleep. So you do not take your laptop to bed with you. You do not take your phone to bed with you. Uh, The only things, maybe a boring book. Uh, which you read, and that's kind of it. So uh, one part of the bedroom is work, play, other stuff, and the other side is this is where I sleep. It's really about establishing habits. That is hugely important. And uh, beyond that, uh, another component which is not widely recognized is the importance of um, the impact of food on sleep. And I write quite a bit about that because there's been a lot of research which has recently emerged on the way that eating a Mediterranean-style diet, uh, the benefits that has um, in terms of inducing a more deep sleep, that what you eat really does have a big impact. And it's partly because of its effect on mood, but also because of its effect on the microbiome, on the, you know, the microbes that live in your gut. And they, in turn, um, if you feed them right, seem to produce sort of sleep-inducing chemicals um, so it's about what you eat, it's about routine, and it's about a number of other things as well. So what should we be eating then to help us sleep better, especially during this time? A lot of fibre. Fibre seems to be uh, particularly good for your microbiome. Uh, I bang on about the Mediterranean diet because it has so many benefits. There's a lot of research now showing that Mediterranean diet, one of the ways it seems to be beneficial is because it also feeds your microbiome. It's rich in fiber. So the Mediterranean diet I'm talking about is one which is oily fish, nuts, legumes, plenty of veg and things like that, and a glass of sort of red wine in the evening, but preferably not much more than that. And um, olive oil seems to be a key component as well. And if you have all these things, then that seems to uh, be a broadly anti-inflammatory diet. And uh, that means... There's, there's many evidence that um, depression, anxiety are at least in part induced by inflammation in the brain. And so an anti-inflammatory diet seems to be good at reducing your risk of all sorts of things, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, but also sleeplessness. And uh, that seems to be really important. So if you can kind of shift uh, into that sort of diet, more nuts, and more olive oil, more legumes, uh, then that seems to be a really good way to go in terms of sleep, but also all the other things. Because one of the other critical things to want a good night's sleep is uh, to ensure that you are relatively slim. Because unfortunately, uh, obesity uh, is linked with lots of fat around the neck and around the gut, and that leads to snoring, it leads to sleep apnea. And again, Mediterranean diet, uh, particularly a kind of calorie-controlled one seems to be a good way of reducing uh, uh, central obesity. And uh, that's one of the other things I bang on a lot in this book and other books, because I do think it's a very important message. Uh, Jason's picked up on your routine of uh, getting up every single day at 7am. He says, uh, does a weekend lion help? Can he keep his weekend lions? Unfortunately, weekend lions, although lovely, um, are probably not terribly good. It's almost like um, jet lag. Because if you get up 
a couple of hours later, say three hours later, then that would be the equivalent, say, of traveling to Athens for the weekend. Uh, and your body really doesn't like jet lag. So uh, it feels quite good at the time. Uh, but unfortunately, when you come to Sunday evening, if you've been getting up on Saturday and Sunday morning at 10 a.m. rather than 7 a.m., uh, then it means you're going to struggle to sleep that night. It's probably fine when you're young, you're much more adaptable. But unfortunately, when people get older, that's when they need routine more than ever. So I'm afraid the lion is, uh, for most of us, is not a great idea. Um, David Hawkins has noticed that during the lockdown, most of us are having sleep issues. Can you just explain why that is? Sorry, during the lockdown, he's... Most of us have had sleep issues. Um, why? Sure. I think it's um, in part because we've uh, broken with our routine. A lot of people are not going into work, and that means they're sort of lying in. Uh, they're possibly watching box sets late at night and eating junk food. And we know the impact of diet, of what you eat on your gut, on your microbiome, on your weight, on your waist, and on your sleep is very profound. So I think it's largely a product of that, the fact that um, routines have been broken and also that people are obviously much more anxious. And there's a study out from the Institute of uh, Fiscal Studies today showing that uh, rates of anxiety have shot up during lockdown, and that's not surprising. Uh, but it just means you're going to have to kind of prioritize routine, uh, be very mindful of what you're eating. And this might be a good moment also to take up mindfulness. Um, there are lots of apps out there. Uh, but that would be one way of coping with stress because these are undoubtedly difficult times. Uh, but uh, when you're sleepless, that unfortunately adds to all the other stuff. Lack of sleep, poor quality sleep means you're going to uh, feel less like exercise, more like eating junk food, um, and you're going to start snoring a lot <laughs> because when you pile on you know, the weight around your neck, that's when you start to really, really snore. So it, this is a moment to try and take your health into your hands and um, yeah, uh, good luck, it's difficult. It is a vicious cycle sometimes, isn't it? I mean, both uh, Ali and Emily have commented about dreams making them more tired, but the more tired you are, the more stressed you are, so perhaps the less uh, good sleep you're getting. Yes, and it's interesting that there have been a number of websites recently which um, are dedicated, in fact, to asking people to kind of uh, describe their dreams. And um, some of the dreams are helpful, some are not. I came across one the other day uh, where somebody was dreaming about uh, sort of a writhing snake, which this um, rabbit then leapt on and devoured, and he interpreted that as being COVID-19, being eaten by a white rabbit. I'm not sure the meaning. But I think the thing about dreams is um, we are certainly reporting more vivid ones, but that is at least in part because people are lying in more. Because when you're being woken, um, you know, abruptly by the alarm clock, uh, you're less likely to recall your dreams. So the fact that you're recalling your dreams is probably as much a product of the fact that you're having a lie-in as anything else. I don't think the dreams themselves are likely to be making you feel more tired. As I said, it's just a, a byproduct of the fact that your life is now disrupted. And is it, we were talking about deep sleep and REM sleep, is it that we dream in REM sleep only or? No, you, um, you dream in both REM sleep and in deep sleep, but in REM sleep, it seems to be particularly intense. And REM sleep is weird. Uh, if you've never seen anybody, then kind of Google it or 
watch your partner do it or your child do it. It's very, very strange. You see these eyes sort of flickering to and fro. And the thing we know about REM sleep is that during it, you are totally paralyzed, um, apart from your eyes and your breathing. And that seems to be because during REM sleep, you have these intense dreams. And if you weren't paralyzed, you'd be thrashing around the place and jumping out of bed and sort of hitting your partner and things like that. Um, so it seems to be a really important part of sleep, certainly for humans. And, um, and as I said, uh, you do sleep as well. You do have dreams during uh, deep sleep, but not as intense. And the intensity seems to be a, a big part of the way in which you kind of process the emotions of the day. Because we know during REM sleep, uh, you also don't produce anything like the same re- levels of adrenaline. I mean, my personal dream I have over and over again is the one where I'm kind of running to catch a train. Uh, it's a sort of frustration dream as much as anything else. I'm either being chased or I'm chasing something, and I'm never quite catching it. Um, one I had last night with a suitcase. I'm packing it to go on holiday, but uh, every time I put something in, it falls out. And then I just, and I know the train's going to go, and it's fairly obvious what that is an interpretation of. It's frustration. It's kind of feeling hemmed in. It's, I want to go on holiday. Uh, so uh, whether that is actually helping me process or not, I don't know. But there are like seven classic dreams you can have, and that is one of the most common ones, that feeling of either chase or being chased. Um, Katazina has asked, um, what's the best percentage of REM and deep sleep during uh, the night for our health? Uh, broadly speaking, uh, the amount of REM sleep you get is on average something like 17 to 20%. The only way of really telling is to have a sleep activity monitor. Uh, and I recently got hold of one uh, because they've got a lot better. Uh, you, if you're going to get one, get one that also measures your heart rate. Because one of the things that happens when you're falling asleep is that your heart rate goes right down. That's kind of the thing that puts you to sleep. It's also a reason why uh, you really don't want to be doing exercise very close to bed because your heart rate's up. So one of the triggers for sleep is the heart rate dropping. Breathing exercises reduce your heart rate. That's another reason why uh, they help you fall asleep. Uh, But the other thing about your heart rate and stuff like that is with the activity monitors is during REM sleep, your heart rate shoots up. So although you are paralyzed, although you appear to be in deep sleep, your heart rate is actually racing. And these are things that the activity monitor measure. So based on that, and there are a number of them, I use a Fitbit. Uh, broadly speaking, REM sleep occupies something like 17% of the sleep and deep sleep uh, anywhere between 8 and 20%. And uh, the rest of it is kind of light sleep. And it's kind of interesting looking at the stats. So as you get older, uh, the amount of deep sleep you have kind of drops off its broadly around an hour when you're in your teens, and then it falls to much less than that um, as you get older. And uh, deep sleep, as I said, seems to be particularly refreshing, uh, particularly for the older brain. And uh, changing what you eat, the fiber, seems to be a good way of inducing deep sleep. There have been a number of smaller studies which have shown broadly that eating sort of sugary, carby stuff uh, is very bad for deep sleep, whereas eating sort of fiber-rich foods um, is good for deep sleep. So it's, it's the likes of legumes and uh, stuff like that you should be eating uh, certainly at nighttime rather than perhaps the milky drink. Don't eat cheese before bed either. 
Uh, it's there are a number of myths, and I have to say, uh, cheese. The idea that cheese gives you nightmares seems to be one of them. They actually did a study at the University of Surrey some years ago, in which they got two hundred people uh, to keep a record of their dreams, and then they had to eat cheese every night uh, for a month. And they found there was no correlation whatsoever between the amount of cheese they're eating when they ate it and their dreams. But um, no, I don't think cheese eaten just before you go to bed is a great idea. Mainly because uh, your body is switched off the night. Your gut wants to go to bed. It's kind of like a busy restaurant. You come in uh, and you shove food down, and then your digestive system has to crank up. That will raise your blood pressure. It will raise your heart rate uh, kind of just at the time when you want to go to sleep. So certainly a heavy meal eaten late at night is a really bad idea. A small nibble of cheese, I suspect, isn't going to make one a lot of difference one way or the other. And uh, particularly nice smelly cheese, but then you're going to be shoving a few probiotics down there as well. Um, and how can you tell if, if you're getting a good quality sleep? I think the most reliable indicator of whether you're getting good quality sleep is do you feel terrible when you wake up or not? Uh, the, there isn't actually a formal test you can do, uh, which is um, what you do is you go to bed uh, in the afternoon uh, with a quiet sign outside the door. And you set your alarm for 15 minutes and then you close your eyes. And the question is, do you fall asleep before the alarm goes off? If you do, uh, then this suggests you are sleep deprived because falling asleep quickly is not actually a terribly good sign. It's a sign that you're actually very sleepy. Uh, and if you fall asleep within 10 minutes, that means you are seriously sleep deprived. 15 minutes, you have a problem. Uh, within 20 minutes is fine. There's actually a version of this test, uh, which was originally developed by sleep researchers at the University of Pittsburgh, which is quite entertaining, where you get a metal spoon. Again, you kind of look at your watch. Uh, you put a metal tray by the bed. You hang your hand over the side of the bed and close your eyes. The idea is when you fall asleep, the spoon falls out of your hand. Uh, it hits the metal tray. It goes clang. And you wake up and you look at your watch and see how long it's taken. I think that's... Um, I've done it. It's quite entertaining, but I think just setting your alarm is probably simpler. And obviously, if you're falling asleep during the day, if you're falling asleep sitting on the sofa, if you're falling asleep in the cinema, well, we don't go to cinema anymore, obviously. Uh, but uh, falling asleep during the day is an indication that you are sleep deprived. Um, Alice has noticed that there are some dreams that are common to all of us. You know, the ones you're saying about running for a train, flying, your teeth falling out. Um, why is that? Why do some people have similar dreams? Not sure. There are seven archetypal dreams which everyone has in variants, and they are the ones you've described. Uh, one of the most common is the one that I described, which is the one where you're racing to catch something or, you know, the frustration dream. Another is falling. Uh, I've had quite a few of those. You're clinging to the cliff edge and then you fall. Uh, being naked in a public place, that's a common one. Having your teeth fall out, which is probably said to be linked to uh, fear of aging. Uh, and they're all variants on anxiety dreams. Uh, why we have these particular seven, I'm not entirely sure. I imagine it's probably a cultural thing. I don't know whether people in other parts of the world have the same one. Again, another common one is going into an exam and being completely unprepared. Uh, you haven't read, you haven't revised, you haven't done anything. I don't know if that can use. That is a very common one, but whether it is a culturally specific one or not, I don't know. And then beyond that, there are lots and lots of crazy dreams. And obviously, Freud and Jung 
made a big thing about, well, Jung in particular, about archetypal dreams. But statistically speaking, the seven I've described are the commonest and they're all variants on anxiety dreams. Natasha has asked about uh, teenagers who, whose sleep pattern shifts seem to be more nocturnal. Um, should they be encouraged out of that? <laughs> okay, so it's a reality. The truth is that uh, when you're a teenager, you time shift. Um, so the, um, most of us, there's larks and owls. So I am uh, a lark. I like to get up early and I like to go to bed late. I'm sorry, early as well, about 11 o'clock. Owls, typically, they tend to go to bed late and get up late. And you are, as a teenager, you shift by about two hours. And there is a biological explanation for this, which is that uh, Mother Nature, if you like, uh, wants you to separate from the rest of the clan. Uh, you're having to learn to be independent as a teenager. And one way you learn to do that is by hanging around with your peers. And one way you do that is by staying up late at night. Um, so that you're with them, you're a gang, you learn skills, you get, do things like that. Plus, it is hugely useful for the tribe that some people are awake late at night in case there are predators around. So all of these are actually powerful biological reasons why teenagers time shift. So um, I'm a big fan of um, trying to shift uh, the time at which teenagers have to go to school later. Uh, because I think, you know, it would fit in with their chronobiology better. And there have been studies, particularly in the States, which have shown a remarkable impact of um, starting the school day just 40 minutes later. Uh, but um, having said that, um, I would um, try to encourage your teenagers to at least get up by 9 or 10, you know, uh, not necessarily 7 a.m. Um, have some sympathy, but uh, it would be reasonable for them to have a pattern and uh, for that pattern to include uh, 9 a.m. Emily has said that her dad always falls asleep to Radio 4. Um, but does the continued noise once you've fallen asleep actually affect the sleep quality? Yeah, I suspect he is probably um, sleep deprived. Obviously, my dad used to do that. And until I lost some weight, I did it as well. Uh, my dad used to fall asleep, you know, in the cinema, the theatre, uh, at the dining, you know, during dinner sometimes pretty much. And if he ever sat down, you know, he's sitting down on the sofa, he would fall bang like that. So I suspect it's less to do with Radio 4 and more to do with uh, the fact that he's probably quite sleep deprived. I don't know anything about her dad, but I would wonder if perhaps he's got a little bit of, uh, a, little bit of a bigger waste going on. Sleep apnea uh, is one of the commonest causes, particularly in men, for disrupted sleep. It's like snoring, but even worse. You kind of go, and then you stop breathing for periods of time. And very, very common, massively underdiagnosed. Uh, they know particularly with fire officers, police officers, around uh, a third of them suffer from sleep apnea. And indeed, it is the leading cause of death uh, in people who do particularly shift work uh, because they're eating unhealthily, they put on the weight, uh, and then they have this thing, sleep apnea, where they stop breathing. Uh, it is immensely curable. You just need to lose weight. If you can lose around five to six kilos, then that will have a major, major impact on the quality of your sleep and on your breathing. Uh, if beyond that, there are things like CPAP machines. Uh, but going back to the original question, I think once you are asleep and the soothing sound of Radio 4 has put you to sleep, then to be honest, uh, it doesn't really matter what's going on as long as they, you know, nobody's kind of shouting or doing something disruptive. There's quite a lot of research into different types of noise, pink noise, white noise, black noise. Uh, I go into that as well. 
And these are different types of noise. So for some people, it's the sound of sort of tinkling waters. Others, it's more, there's a more sort of coming and going noise, uh, which is known as pink noise, which seems to be quite effective, which is more a sort of natural noise. Uh, and others, it's just kind of blocking out, almost a vroom. So uh, it's worth kind of exploring different types of noise. Uh, but I'm not sure Radio 4 is any worse or any better than anything else. I mean, for a while, I was sort of uh, setting up my phone so they would play um, some some music or sort of I liked ocean sounds to get to sleep. But I was using my phone then while I was in bed. And is that is that a problem with regards? You've read about I've read about um, blue light. Is mm. it a problem for me to be looking at my phone while I'm in bed? Well, I think the blue light thing, um, certainly as far as phones are concerned, is a myth. That your phone is not going to be emitting anything like enough blue light to wake you up or keep you awake, unless you're really, you know, set it on intense. I think it's mainly a marketing device where people could sell devices to, you know, filter out the blue light. Um, so I think that is a top myth. Uh, the thing that mainly is a problem with phones and uh, laptops and stuff like that is not the light, it's the distraction. It's the fact that the whole point of um, social media is to grab your attention. And my daughter, for example, who's 20, uh, once she's on social media, you know, she's doomed. So she has to leave her phone outside the room. Otherwise, she will start, you know, once she's watching um, something, it doesn't stop. Or once she's started following something, it just doesn't stop. And that's exactly how these things are designed, to hook you up, keep you addicted, keep you going. So it's nothing really to do with the light. It's much more to do with the addictive nature of the material. So if you've got it there and if you can ignore your emails and stuff like that, and you're just listening to sound, then that is not a problem. Uh, the risk is that if it is, you know, within Henrich, you'll think, oh, I must just check out the latest on COVID-19 or whatever it might be. And before you know it, uh, the hours have drifted by. Um, uh, you'll be delighted to know, of course, that Fast Asleep is available as an audiobook, and I'm sure that will put you to sleep. <laughs> is it narrated by you? It is narrated by me, indeed. My dulcet tones will be very soothing and calming and sleep, 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 yeah. That was Dr. Michael Mosley talking all about sleep. His book, Fast Asleep, is out now. If you want to watch the full interview, head over to our Facebook page. And to find out what our next book is and to join the Q&A session with its author, head over to sciencefocus.com forward slash science book club. The new issue of BBC Science Focus magazine is out now, where we look at the missions planning on building a permanent base on the moon by 2030. And as ever, there are loads more features inside. So head over to sciencefocus.com to find out how to subscribe. And please let us know what you thought of the episode with a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.